Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. everybody, welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Today we're speaking with Aura Nadrich, who is the founder and president of the Institute for Transformational Living. She's a certified life coach and certified mindfulness meditation teacher, as well as the author of the groundbreaking book, Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. Aura, welcome to the show. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. So what, what inspires you to, to get involved in all of this and, and write this book and, and do, you know, the life coaching and everything that you do? Well, I had been on a very deep, long psycho-spiritual journey for quite some time. Um, I was always considered myself a seeker, but I had a very uh, pivotal, significant incident happen for me when I was uh, about 15 years old. My, I have two older sisters, and one of my sisters had a mental breakdown, and it was just devastating, and it just changed really all of our lives. But for me, being the youngest of four, it had impacted me so deeply that it really set me on this very long journey to understand the workings of the mind because I... You know, I went into deep fight or flight when that happened to her. I went into a deep fear state. And what happened when I was in that fear state, which we feel that our survival is very threatened and unstable, is that I told myself something out of fear, and that was that I was going to have a mental breakdown like my sister. So that thought really took hold in my psyche. I pretty much buried it into my subconscious, but then started to feel what I call in says who, my book, the side effects or the symptoms of a thought that we tell ourselves. And I really suffered a lot because of it. I I had experienced deep anxiety. And fast forward, went on this deep psycho-spiritual journey to find out, again, um, what we're all about. What is a thinking mind about? You know, wanting to become more knowledgeable and aware of our thoughts. So, um, you know, in in your journey, it it was interesting, and I think it's not uncommon. You were actually um, quite successful in in a different career, and um, you were, you know, getting all this anxiety. Can you just talk about what was happening, you know, at that time for you? Because I think this is very common that we're, you know, we're we're good at what we do and we're successful, but we, we doubt ourselves or we doubt something in ourselves. Definitely. I mean, you know, doubt and insecurity, fear, negativity. I mean, I I call it basically the garden variety of the thinking mind. We all have those thoughts to varying degrees. It's what we do with those thoughts that's most important. And my work in particular is uh, having created a method to help you identify a thought that is causing you, you know, pain discomfort or, or, or anxiety, which is what happened in my case, and, and know what to do with it. So, you know, for me, I feel that by questioning our thoughts and understanding them, we can therefore change them, and that's what I had set out to do. And, you know, I was somebody who was in uh, basically living a life. I was an actress at the time when I was experiencing anxiety, and things on the surface seemed like they were going quite well for me, which they were. But I was at the effect of, again, a fear-based thought that was born out of my own thinking mind, and I was feeling anxiety. And so it's very important to be able to identify what we're feeling. Um, I always say that thoughts, there's always a thought behind a feeling. You know, sometimes we can't locate it and identify it, and that what really impedes our, you know, our success or reaching the goals that we want to experience is oftentimes when we're stuck with those feelings like anxiety. So what does the title of your book mean, Says Who? Says Who is really the very first question of the Says Who method, which in essence is saying, who is saying this thought in my mind? It's the very first question that you ask yourself when you embark on the journey of the inquiry of a thought that you have, B, 
immediate negative or fear-based that's causing you unhappiness. So that question again says, who who is saying this thought in my mind? And and so what ends up what happening? Like who? I mean, wouldn't we all just be thinking that thought ourselves? You'd be amazed how many questions we don't ask ourselves, <laughs> and that we just accept our thoughts readily. Do you know? I mean, we think up to seventy thousand thoughts a day, and a very high percentage of those thoughts are negative and fear-based and not useful to us at all. So, you know, what I offer up with the Says Who Method is for people to really begin the questioning process, the inquiry, the investigation of their thoughts, you know, especially the thoughts that are causing them unhappiness, do you know? So by asking that question, I mean, when you pretty much, you know, agree to begin that inquiry and you ask yourself the seven questions of the says who method, by asking says who, you really are taking responsibility for your thought, which is who is saying this thought in my mind? You know, hence says who, who is telling me I'm I'm unlovable? Who is telling me that I'm unworthy? Who is telling me that I'm never going to be successful at this, that, or whatever? You know, we need to take responsibility for what what we tell ourselves. You know, oftentimes it's a lot easier to push away what we tell ourselves or disconnect from what we're thinking or deny it or pretend we're not having it. So says who is a very bold, excuse me, a very bold question to ask oneself. So, um, you know, I think we can get into that more later because it, it it's, um, I think, can be difficult for people to even realize that, especially if they're doing it on their own. I mean, I'm sure that you have these conversations with your, with your clients, and, you know, I certainly do, and it's very difficult to get people to assess those thoughts. You know, we've got a story behind them that they're real, of and it, it's, it, it's hard to shake up our, our core, you know, sure. to, to change that. Absolutely, and I think that's a very good point to bring up because fear really is so much of what stops us from doing the very thing that can help us, do you know? So yes, it may seem like a daunting thing to do to really go within and question our thoughts or a particular thought or to unravel or even just to be aware of the story that we tell ourselves. But, you know, it is a very courageous step to take in knowing your thinking mind better. And oftentimes the fear that we have is really blown out of proportion. And when we are able to go in there and look at something a little more closely, it can dissipate a lot of the energy that the fear has around it, do you know? And I go more in depth in my book about leading you basically step-by-step into this process, which really can help you overcome the anticipation or the fear of getting to know your thoughts better. So um, what is the difference between having thoughts and knowing our thoughts? Well, having thoughts is just allowing for your thoughts to occupy your mind. I mean, yes, we have thoughts, and as I said, we we can think up to 70,000 thoughts a day, not that we're cognizant of all the thoughts we have, but usually what gets our attention are the thoughts that we have most energy on, you know, as I said, be it negative or fear-based thoughts. So we have all these thoughts. You know, but we may not really understand and or know them very well, meaning why are we having them? Why are they having an effect on us? Why do they feel they have such a powerful hold on our psyche? Do you know, it's like that, again, goes back into knowing the thoughts that you have. You know, I say and says who know your thoughts, not just the pretty ones. Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, and I know that this is, is difficult for people, as I, I said before. Um, I think it, it's, um, you know, very difficult to to know them, to understand them, and, and to do the work that, that you have laid out in your book. Um, you know, it, it's um, scary. It's scary to recognize that we've been doing something our whole lives that are hurting us so much as well. Yes. And I think it's important, Rebecca, that you're bringing up that about it because, yes, it is scary. You know, when we've invested in a type of thinking that we are familiar with, you know, familiarity is what we feel most comfortable with, and the unknown is frightening for us. And I think that's part of, you know, that's very common. 
Um, but it is becoming more familiar with the very thing we really do need to know. And sometimes what we're holding on to is not serving our well-being at all. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword and or a contradiction. You can hold on to what's familiar to you, but that very thing that's familiar to you is really causing you pain and suffering, which is why I wrote this book. I wanted to help people understand their thinking mind and be able to suffer less than what they were suffering about, which is so many of the thoughts that they have that they suffer with unnecessarily. I mean, if you shine light on your thoughts and understand them better and be able to logically deconstruct them and do what I say in the book, or, uh, use a technique that, I, that I've created called the release and replace technique and learn the healthy habit of releasing a negative thought or fear-based thought that doesn't serve your well-being and learning how to replace it with one that does, excuse me, this becomes the familiar, this becomes the new normal, and this also becomes what I believe is the correct way to think. So how can we recognize a thought that that is negative and that is, is causing us harm? I talk about being the observer of your thoughts. And what that means really is that When a negative or fear-based thought comes about, oftentimes we feel it viscerally. We feel it in the body. You know, I talked about fight or flight. That was my personal experience. I had a thought that came up for me in the foreground of my mind, and it caused me tremendous fear, and I felt it. You know, my heart started to pound. I felt really sweaty. I felt, you know, just like everything in the room was disappearing. I felt really frightened. So it's very important to acknowledge what we're feeling, even if we don't know the thought behind it. And that is the very first step you take into beginning to observe what you're feeling and want to do the inquiry, want to be able to say to yourself something like, oh, wow, I feel really scared right now, or I feel really anxious. Hmm, I, I want to be with that, you know, to be able to be with it with present moment awareness, which is mindfulness, being in the present moment with total awareness, so that I can come to look at it more closely to see why I have so much fear or anxiety right now and to be able to look at the thought and you know identifying the thought sometimes you can have a thought that seems rather small compared to what it's elicited or evoked in you and that's why it's important to know the thought because sometimes your thought isn't really worthy of the (laughs) feeling that it's creating in you do you know Mm -hmm. so um well, I guess one thing, um, we always touch on this a little bit, but, you know, when, when we're starting to be aware of these, um, you know, like, um, as an example of thought, I'm, I'm not going to be successful, something's going to happen. Um, is this a, a real thought? Is this, you know, reality? Well, yes, our thoughts are real for us. And our thoughts, as I say, you are the creator and master of your internal dialogue, which creates your reality. I mean, if you tell yourself something like, I will never be successful, which is why the, the question says who is so important, says who? Who is telling me I'll never be successful? You know, again, if your answer is, well, I am telling myself that, and then you go through the six questions that follow, you'll be able to really <coughs> logically find out why you believe that's true. So many of our thoughts are not real. They're not based in truth. They're based in, you know, something somebody once said to us. It could have been something that we've carried in from childhood, that we were told we weren't good at something. You know, we weren't good at sports. We weren't good at dancing. We weren't good at math. You know, we weren't good at singing. And that thought becomes a belief. We carry that thought into adulthood, which then creates part of our core belief And that is the default place to go to is I will not be successful. And you can plug that into just about anything. Do you know? So these are really beneath the surface beliefs that we need to pull up like, you know, like weeds so that we can replant new positive, constructive, life-affirming thoughts that can really help support who we are today, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Aura Nadrich. She's the author of the book Says Who, and we'll be back shortly. 
the future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you tired of the healthcare system only treating your symptoms and never addressing the root cause? Discover how integrative medicine can resolve health issues through dietary and lifestyle changes and the use of natural supplements. Increase your energy, memory, mood, immune system, sexuality, and more. Join Dr. Sunil Pai and Maureen Sutton to help you take back your health with natural, evidence-based solutions. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Today we're talking with Aura Nadrich. She is the author of the book, Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. So, Aura, you you mentioned um, in in the first segment a few times fear-based thoughts. So can you just explain to us what what that is? Well, I talk in my book, uh, the chapter on fear is that there is fear that we have that is really basically genuinely helping or protecting us from a possible, you know, frightening experience. And we can experience, as I said, in a fight or flight um, sensation. And then there are fear-based thoughts that come up, you know, that we don't really know why we're feeling afraid, which is why we need to go one step further to find out what, in fact, is evoking that fearful feeling in us. And I use an example in Says Who that let's say you're hiking and you are not in a fear-based state. You're just enjoying your hike and you encounter a snake. And you will go into, for the most part, for most people, a fight-or-flight state. You know, fear will come in, fear of survival, fear, fear of being hurt. You know, that is all natural. But what I go into deeper in that chapter is that unless we really put that fear into its proper place, meaning that that doesn't mean that every time you're going to take a hike that you're going to encounter a a snake. But if you have that fear in you, you're going to anticipate that every time you're hiking. Do you know? So you need Mm -hmm. to put your fear in its proper place. You need to know when you're being signaled fear for a reason that is accurate or fear-based thoughts that are coming up for you that could be based on an experience you once had out of your past. And I very much talk about the past of what once was versus what is in the present moment or even fear and anxiety that we have about the future, a time that is yet to come. So I just um, want to, I guess, bring up an example of this. I know most people can, we know what fear is, but I don't think people always realize how much it, it's running their life. And, you know, with with my history with, with chronic Lyme, I get asked every day by my, my patients, you know, what do you do? Do you go outside? And, um, you know, I, I there was a point, yeah, there was a point where I, I was afraid, but now I, you know, I always explain it. If you've been in a car accident before, you still have to get in a car again. Exactly. And you still 
still, you know, you still have to, maybe you're safer and you've done some things to protect yourself a little bit, taking a course or you're, you know, you stop speeding or, you know, being more cautious. And the same with going outside is I I take precautions, but I don't cut myself off from living my life because that puts me back into um, being just as sick as I was when I was sick and bedridden and couldn't go outside. And I think your experience, I think your story is really a good one, Rebecca, because I think an example that I would put with that is that a fear-based thought based on what had happened to you would be that the thought would come up, I cannot go outside because I'm afraid I'm going to be, you know, uh, bit by by a tick. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I mean, the thoughts that come up that dictate to us being, you know, paralyzed by acting, those are the thoughts that can keep being present, and those are the thoughts that we want to be aware of, observe, and question. And to counter that would be, like you said, no, I'm taking precautionary measures to cover my body, and I can go and take a walk without fearing that I'm going to get Lyme's disease again. You know, these mm-hmm. are the kinds of release and replace thoughts that I talk about in Says Who?, so, yes, fear is genuine, but when fear starts to come up and it stops us from doing the very thing we want to do, those are the type of fear-based thoughts that I say can be very counterproductive to us really getting on with our lives. Uh, you know, Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, I, I see it all the time, and I don't think that pe- people are aware, and I guess that's why you want people to, to know their thoughts and not just have them. Um, you know, the, the anxiety and the fear that is is running their life and overwhelming them, and often they think it's something else that's the problem, and they're not aware that really, you know, they think it's, I can't go outside because there's ticks instead of, I'm afraid to go outside, and it's the fear that's, that's exactly. driving me. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to connect the dots and says who really helps with that. It helps you be able to connect the dots that whether it's a feeling that you're experiencing not connected to the thought or you have the thought and it's evoking a feeling in you, you then know how to work with it. You navigate it so that it doesn't stop you from, again, you know, going outside for fear that you might be bit by a tick. You know, it's learning the ways in which we can be aware, we can know what we're feeling, we can know what we're thinking, and then we work through it so that we can use productive, constructive thoughts that can be more beneficial to us rather than undermine and sabotage the very things we want to do. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, In in your book, you, you talk about automatic thoughts. What are those? Automatic thoughts are thoughts that just pop up into our mind. They're not premeditated. We don't ask for them. They just appear. And we have, you know, thousands and thousands of automatic thoughts that come up. Automatic thoughts can come and go. As quickly as they pop into our mind, they can leave, you know. I got to go to the market, you know, drive to the market, you know. It's the automatic thoughts that I talk about that we have energy around. It's an automatic thought that let's just say someone cuts you off in traffic. And the automatic thought would be, what an idiot. And, you know, it's being mindful of the thoughts that are surrounding perhaps an incident that are not the premeditated, you know, the thoughts that were not premeditated that just come up and, you know, instruct us of something and remind us of something. It's like automatic, you know, notifications that come up on our devices. They pop up constantly. It's what we want to do with them that matters. Do you know? So I talk about and says who to be aware of automatic thoughts, the ones that are getting our attention and the ones that we feel compelled to act on. I do cite road rage in my book because that's just such a strong example of an automatic thought gone wrong. Do you know? Like I said, mm-hmm. you get cut off in traffic. You call somebody whatever expletive or an idiot or whatever you want to say, and then an automatic thought gone even, you know, spiraling down is, I got to go chase that person. So, you know, I cite automatic thoughts as important thoughts to be aware of so that we don't act on them, you know, unmindfully, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I guess that, that is a good example of, of how extreme those can be as well, because I, I think everybody's been in traffic and experienced, like, oh my God, what an idiot, they just cut me off, or they're going to cause an accident, or, you know, why are, why are they doing that instead of, you know, either being okay with it or understanding there might be a mistake or something, you know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's harder to reach that compassionate place than it is to reach the angry place. Yeah, I mean, automatic thoughts can come up so quickly, and we can be at the effect of them just as quickly, you know, so I, it's an important type of thinking that I want people to be aware of, and again, some of them are very innocuous, you know, an automatic thought can come up, and it's again like a friendly reminder, like almost like an alert, and we can be glad for that. You know, it's like I said, reminding us of something. But it's the automatic thought that pops in our mind just like out of the blue. And what can also be thought of as a random thought. And, you know, I mentioned that once in an interview that I was running up my steps one day and a thought came into my mind. And it was an automatic thought. And it was very incongruous. And it was it just got my curiosity. It just seemed so out of left field, so random. And it wanted me to you know, I wanted, I should say, wanted to spend time looking at it, like, oh, what, what was that thought about? Was, is there something I need to look at a little bit more closely? And when you get versed with the SOSU method and you get versed in the techniques and the skill set, like what I call the toolbox or the arsenal of your thinking mind, you really start to be so much more receptive to the type of thinking that takes place, be it automatic thoughts. You know, you really get to know your thoughts and get to know the type of thoughts that come up for you, be it automatic, be it judgmental, be it worrisome thoughts, you know, be it any type of thought that really comes up for you, you can identify it as such and know what to do with it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, And it it takes practice for sure. I think, um, you know, especially anybody who's studied any meditation or mindfulness knows that you start by not being aware of anything. And then you start by being aware and then you start being able to change. Exactly. And I really welcome, you know, people to take that first step. You know, this is a practice. It's a discipline. It's developing mind strength, like anything else that you want to do, be it get into shape, become a good cook, you know, whatever it is you practice, these are the disciplines. This is mental discipline. You know, meditation helps you realize that, you know, mindfulness is the practice of being in the present moment and being aware when you're stepping out of the present moment and to gently, lovingly bring yourself back in the moment. So I know for, for the beginner, this can be a lot of information and can seem overwhelming, which is why I say, you know, one step at a time. And I, I break that down and says to, you know, teaching you how to take those steps. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about being judgmental? Being judgmental, you know, something we all do, whether we're being judgmental of ourselves or we're being judgmental of another person. You know, these are also linked to what can be an automatic thought. You know, I mentioned in Says Who, you walk into a party and you meet a person for the first time and you can see how immediately you can be judgmental of them. And it could be for very superficial reasons, you know, the way they look, you know, the color of their skin, the sound of their voice, the way they wear their hair. You know, we are very quick to size one another up with judgment. And I, and I cite the difference between being judgmental and being discerning. You know, judgment is helpful, too, and it's important to have opinions about what we feel is right or wrong or what is pleasing to us and what is not. But judgmental thoughts are, are the type of thinking that can really sell ourselves short and that can really be, you know, quick to judge somebody unfairly, you know. And I think when that isn't looked at closely, you know, it can become a part of our core beliefs. You know, our judgments can, in fact, really be the very things, um, beliefs and opinions that we have about others. Also, towards ourselves. You know, people are extremely critical of themselves. We all have the inner critic, and sometimes we're just so unkind to ourselves and very judgmental of ourselves. So it's very important to look at what your judgment is about. What are you basing that judgment on? You know, 
it's it's very telling and revealing to us to find out, and sometimes it's to our surprise how judgmental we can be. So again, it's reframing. You can have a quick snap judgment of somebody that you don't even know, and when you practice what I talk about in my book, be the observer of your thoughts. You can go, "Huh, wow, that was really judgmental." So um, you know. I, I I understand the the drawbacks of being judgmental, um, but I know that some people feel that's what drives them to do things. You know, they want to be um, more fit, so they're judge, judging themselves on how they look right now, and they want to change that. So we, you know, and, and maybe that it, you know in in your mind is also not that great for us. But where is there a line between you know needing to be motivated? And or the thought just not being the right thought. How can that's we tell the really difference? That's a good question, and that's exactly what I wanted to say about judgment. As far as really using judgment to motivate us to do something, do you know you may have a judgment of yourself? And for everybody, again, it's different. For some people, their judgments are very harsh and critical. I believe, and I write about <laughs> in says who. Let's just take dieting as an example. You know, you may have an opinion about the way your body looks and might be very judgmental about how you see yourself. But if your thoughts continue to be the harsh critic and be judgmental of yourself, you're going to eventually let yourself down and you're going to eventually not be able to fulfill that goal and that is to reach the goal of losing weight. I feel that that's why a lot of diets fail because let's just say you set out a goal to lose weight and your thoughts need to support the very thing you want to do. You can be hard on yourself. You can be a taskmaster. You can crack the whip if you feel that's going to help motivate you, but be very mindful of the thoughts that you're telling yourself. Are they so extremely judgmental that they're counterproductive to you getting on with what it is you want to do? Do you know, our judgments can, can really get in the way of the very thing or the very goal we want to reach. So, so, so let, I, I just want to um, see if I have this right. So for wanting to lose weight and we're being critical of ourselves and say we, we fail or we're not necessarily even fail, but, you know, we, we have a day where we have a piece of pie that's not supposed to be a lot, right. whatever, whatever rules you're going by. I know there's a lot of um, strict things out there. And then you start beating yourself up. Oh, I'm a loser and you know, whatever. Right. And then exactly the next day right. you're like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not really good at this anyway. And then you fall off completely because you're being so judgmental and hard on yourself. That's exactly right. And that's what happens. And again, you know, everything in moderation, you know, the word judgment, there's, I feel that there's good of that as well, meaning we need to have an inherent understanding of what is right and wrong, you know, our moral and ethical compass of how we, you know, guide ourselves in this life. I understand that, and it all has its proper place. Judgment, as far as just the way we apply it to our lives daily, you know, practical application of judgment, it can really get in the way, and it can be extremely harsh, and it can be the very thing that gets in the way of what it is we want to do. So, for example, again, I I feel that dieting is, is such a universal way in describing how often they fail is the very first time you want to sneak that piece of cake or have that cookie or whatever. The voice in you can be so harsh and mean and unkind and unforgiving and be such a harsh judge that you're like, oh, forget it. Why even bother? I'm such a failure at this. I'm, I'm not good at anything. And then you start the downward spiral inner dialogue. And that's mm-hmm. what I want people to be mindful of. Do you know? You want to work with your thoughts. You want them to serve your well-being in the best way possible. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking today with Aura Nadrich. She's the author of Says Who? And we'll be back shortly. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're speaking with Aura Nadrich. She's the author of the book, Says Who? How One Simple Question Can Change the Way You Think Forever. So, Aura, um, in your book, you have a chapter that that talks about worry. And and I think this is the chapter. I didn't write this down in my notes, but um, I think you quoted Lucy Maud Montgomery, which, of course, all us Canadians have a big place (laughs) for in our hearts. And and, I'm not sure I'm going to get this 100% right, but she said, you know, the worrying mind is, isn't doing anything productive or something like that. Right. And I, you know, and I, I, I think that um, that's not always something people realize either, you know, if it's part of their nature to, to worry and, and, you know, it, and it can be all in con- consuming as well to do that. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Again, you know, that's the point that I'm making is you want to make sure that your thoughts don't take you over and make you feel powerless, you know, which oftentimes is the case. You know, we all worry. It's part of the thinking process, you know. Um, but again, it's like, what do you want to do with that worry thought? What I mention in the book, The Something to Worry About Thoughts chapter, is that worrying by itself doesn't really do anything. I mean, what it does is it makes us feel more anxious, more worried, more out of the moment, more, you know, freaked out. You know, it can really take us into a downward spiral, and that's why being aware of the worry. I mean, of course there's genuine worry, and there's there are genuine things to be concerned and or worried about, but you want to be aware of when it starts to go over into counterproductivity. You know, I mentioned in the book, let's just say you're worried about something, somebody that you love that's near and dear to you is, is having a health crisis, you know, or maybe they're going to have a procedure or surgery and you're super worried about that. You know, how to turn the worry into something like uh, a meditation, a mindful meditation, how to turn it into a visualization, or even how to turn worry into prayer, you know, where it becomes useful and that you can change the energy field around that, which is more into a anxiousness, and then hold it into your body with something as a visualization, like holding white light and healing thoughts towards somebody and or even towards yourself. Do you know? I had a client, it was rather funny because she says to me, you know, she began to do the work and the meditation that I suggested for her. And she said, you know, wow, you know, I found myself, like, not worrying for a couple of hours. And then all of a sudden I said, oh, wait, I forgot to worry. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to worry. I'm not, I'm so used to that. I'm so, I've so trained my mind, you know, I've so patterned myself into just worrying that suddenly I was aware of not worrying, which is, which is really putting mindfulness into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow, I didn't worry for three hours. Okay, that just goes to show me that I can really, you know, use that thinking in a more positive, constructive way. I can change out my worry thought into something that is more useful to me. 
Well, that also sounds like what what we spoke about before. Like you have your thoughts, and then you're aware of them, and then you can change them. And uh, you know, uh, that that sounds exactly you know what was happening. Is it she started to change it, and then she yeah. was aware, right? Yeah, and then <laughs> you know, with the says who method, you know, these are seven pointed questions to ask yourself. Very straightforward, what I call user friendly questions. You know, a worried thought of, would be such a great way to plug in the says who method. Which one of the questions is how does this thought work for me? You know, how is that worried thought working for you? You know, it suddenly stops you in your, in your tracks. You know, you're like, well, it actually really isn't working for me. I can't even come up with a positive way that that worried thought is working for me. Do you know, it really helps the whole dismantling. And it takes the charge off of a thought that feels like you're a hostage to. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so can you tell us a little bit about, now that we've explained about, you know, all of this going on, what, what is the says who method? Uh, do, you, do we have time to go through the questions? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Should. The says who questions, again, are seven questions that I've devised to ask yourself if or when a negative or fear-based thought comes up for you. Beginning with the very first question that we talked about earlier on, says who? You know, that is really taking the first step. It's a very important step because it's the willingness to do what I say in says who, owning your thought. Says who? Who is saying this thought in my mind? Very important question, you know, and you talk about fear and feeling overwhelmed. You know, it's, you're really opening that door, and it's a, it's a great first step to take. Second question, have I heard someone say this thought before? As I said earlier, so many of our negative and fear-based thoughts did not originate with us. It was something that we may have heard growing up. It's something that maybe a parent or an authority figure or a teacher told us about ourselves or said something about us to us, and we believed it to be true. Um, It could have been the bully on the schoolyard. It could have been you know, a friend who says something mean to you. So it's very important to identify a thought that we hold on as our own that didn't even originate with us. Third question, do I like this thought? One of my personal favorites, such an easy question to ask ourselves. You know, we can think a thought and it's just really unlikable. There's like nothing pleasant about it. You know, it's just annoying it's mean, it's unkind, and it's just flat-out unlikable. So that's a, you know, again, I, I like to ask myself, like, do I even like this thought? Uh, no, I really don't. So it really puts it right into proper perspective. Fourth question, does this thought make me feel better? Also, what is it about our negative thoughts that make us feel better? They really don't make us feel very good. Do you know, unless you like that feeling, you know, to be able to ask yourself, you know, how does this thought make me feel better? Does it make me feel happy? Does it make me feel good in my body? Does it make me feel, you know, inspired? Does it make me feel motivated? You know, how does this negative or fear-based thought make me feel better? How is it adding or enhancing my life? Um, fifth question, does this thought work for me? As I mentioned earlier, what is it about your negative or fear-based or worried or, you know, any thought that you have that is disruptive, how is it working for you favorably? Very important to be able to identify, you know, what in fact is that thought doing that's working favorably for you. I say your thoughts should be your dutiful soldiers. They should be working for you favorably. They should be serving your well-being. Sixth question, am I in control of this thought? So often my clients will say to me, excuse me, I feel so out of control. You know, I feel like my thought it has power over me. I feel like it just runs the show. And that is how it feels. It feels that way when we give our thoughts power over us. But in fact, we are creating them and we can change them. So we have power over them. We are in the driver's seat. Seventh question, do I want to keep this thought or let it go? The final question to ask yourself when you've identified that thought with asking yourself who is saying it in your mind, if it's you or someone else, you know, do you like this thought if it's, the answer is no? Does this thought make you feel better? No, it doesn't. Does this thought work for you? No, it doesn't. Are you in control of this thought? It doesn't feel that way. When you get to the seventh question, do I want to keep this thought or let it go, I would say that practically everybody that I work with has a resounding yes. I am ready to let this thought go. 
Um, I, I think that's that's pretty powerful, and I know it can be hard to get to that point as well. It, being ready, you know, sometimes our our beliefs and our thoughts are, um, you know, part of our core, and it, it's very yeah. hard to make that change. And you might not be ready, and that's why this is a this is a technique. This is a method that you can ask yourself over and over and over again. You know, I think it's very honest to say I've answered all these questions with the answer being no. You know, I recognize that this thought does not serve my well-being, that it causes me unhappiness and or suffering, but I'm not ready to let it go, you know, and be with it and go even further as to why you feel you're not ready to let that thought go. Why do you feel you need to hold on to it? You know, this is the inquiry. And don't be afraid. Take it. It's okay. It's okay to ask yourself those questions. And it's okay even if you're not ready to let that thought go. But you wouldn't be picking up that book. You wouldn't be attempting to do this method if you really weren't ready to change those thoughts, those thoughts that are not making you happy, those thoughts that are causing you pain or suffering. Somewhere in there you know that that's true. And somewhere at one point maybe not right now, you will take that first step to change it out. So when, when somebody is working through this process, because you know, it sounds nice to listen to it, um, but I know that things don't change overnight. So how long does this process actually change uh, at, where people start to see well, the results that they want? I see, I mean, I get so many people say to me, you know, with something like what I start with my in my book called the observer versus reactor mode, um, you know, putting in that putting that into motion of really becoming more aware, mindfully aware of your thoughts, people will say to me, "Wow, I'm suddenly aware of my negative thoughts, and I don't judge them. I'm just more aware of them." So. With every step of the book, something happens. A shift starts to happen. And when you practice the says who method and you learn it by heart and you learn those questions really quickly, you're going to see immediate changes. And it's only going to get better from there. Do you know, when we become familiar with something, when we know how to work something, we just get better at it. Do you know? It's mm-hmm. like anything else. It's like the more you commit to it, I say, if you commit to this, it commits to you, and it will support you in learning how to develop new neural pathways in your mind that you won't be as quick to default to accepting negative thinking, but in fact, support your thoughts with positive um, ways of thinking. Do you know? This becomes mm-hmm. more second nature for you. This will become more familiar, and these will become a new, wholesome thinking habit for you. And I, I've had people contact me that have just had extraordinary results. You know, they considered themselves a very negative person or felt that they were living by fear-based thoughts a lot. And they basically feel like they're running the show. <laughs> and by the way, I just want to add this. Negative thoughts will come up again. I didn't write a quick fix book. I didn't write a book like, you know, oh, hey, let's just think positive thoughts all the, th- all the time and positive, positive, positive. You know, that's not real. That's not true. Negative and fear-based thoughts are part of your thinking process. You now will know what to do when they come up. And you will be the one that's in control. It will not feel like it's controlling you. Hmm. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that, and I think it also important to mention, just like when we gave the example of losing weight and then you fall off the wagon, you got these negative thoughts. I know when people try to work on things like this, they get the negative thoughts of, "Oh, I had a thought, so now I'm, I'm failing at this," and and it, it is hard to change, um, you know, that that core, and um, you know, it just takes that time and that awareness and that willingness to it's to true. Make the and I want to say that yeah. you know, even the things that we say to ourselves. Even if we acknowledge something like, oh, it's hard to change, do you know, be mindful of what you're saying to yourself. It's hard to change. Yes, that is true. There are truths about what we tell ourselves in part, but we want to be mindful of that that thought doesn't turn into a belief. Because if you keep holding that as your mantra or your affirmation, it's hard to change, then you will be succumbing to that belief, and it will be that much harder to change. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. that's how mindful you really want to be about what, in fact, you're telling yourself. 
you can say something like, you know, it's hard to change, but I'm going to make every effort to change. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that in the book as well. You know, make sure you don't have two thoughts that conflict and cancel each other out. Even if you have a thought that's, you know, negative or perhaps even factual, yes, it is hard to change, but I'm not going to live by that. That's not yeah. going to be my golden rule. Yeah, exactly. So um, now is there any way that somebody can get a hold of you or your book if they want more information? Sure. Uh, you can reach me by my website, auranadrich.com. Uh, my book says who can be ordered um, through Amazon very quickly. You can receive it. Um, on my website, there are tabs of you know my schedule, what I'm doing. Um, I just actually revised my website, so it's got so much on it going on. Um, I'm going to be having an online coaching certification program uh, for coaches and learning the says who method and how to apply that to getting your own clients as a thought coach, which I have created this whole new category as a life coach myself. I feel that the specialized area most needed is in the area of our thinking mind. So, and an institute, a nonprofit institute that I have called the Institute for Transformational Thinking. Um, I'm in the process of finishing a new book on mindfulness and also want to add, Rebecca, that I will be at uh, Rhythmia in Costa Rica, an all-inclusive wellness retreat that I taught at last year and be doing a workshop again in July. Uh, I think July 23rd, on Mastering Your Mind, Transforming Negative and Fear-Based Thoughts. So all of that, again, you can find on auranadrich.com. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So again, everybody, we were talking today with Aura Nadrich, as she's the author of Says Who, How One Simple Question Can Change the Way That You Think Forever. Thank you so much for listening, and be sure to make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week.